Welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast for the 12th of February with myself, Andres Vantanar, and my colleagues Simon Thompson, Peter White, and Harry Morgan. In this episode, we discuss our recently released report on perovskites, a novel type of solar photovoltaic which will carve out a large chunk of market share by 2030. We also discuss how the big forecasters are underestimating both electric vehicles and hydrogen. I think I think the, the key thing is that the starting gun just fired on perovskites and things are going to happen that are concrete, if not throughout 2021, for the tail end of 2021 and into 2022. And we'll be able to see whether these, um, whether in particular the tandems which Oxford PV uh, are bringing to market are going to have a massive impact on the on the marketplace. They they can't have a massive impact back because at the moment they can only produce 250 megawatts a year. But uh, if they are immediately snapped up and they are shown to be effective, then that they will continue investing on uh, strengthening that line. We should probably start by saying what perovskites are, which is it's a different semiconductor material to silicon PV silicon photovoltaic. The research has just been going on since 2009. It's been very weak for for a while compared to the established silicon. It's been, the material has degraded and hasn't had a proper lifespan. It has collapsed in its efficiency rating whenever you try to scale it up past these laboratory cells, which are tiny. It it degrades from ultraviolet or humidity, but all of that has basically is being addressed. It hasn't been completely addressed by some companies, but the leading companies seem to have pretty much addressed it, and now it's about uh, commercialising it. So, you, like you said, you've got Oxford PV, uh, their production line of 250 megawatts, which should be uh, online this year. And there's there's a couple of big, there's two big companies in China as well. There's GCL Nano and MicroQuanta. Uh, there's one company which I think is already running on a small scale in Poland. It's uh, Soltech. Pronounced Saula. Oh, Saula. We're already seeing that the technology is being used in very different ways. Because what, what all forms of perovskite have in common is that they are cheaper in terms of their materials and they're lighter than silicon. They're very thin, they're very light, they don't cost much to make. The manufacturing facilities are cheaper as well. There's different things you can do with that. And Oxford PV's approach is they actually will still make silicon panels, but they will integrate perovskites on top. So this is more of a premium product with extra costs and much more power uh, per square meter yeah let's just just step back from that a second <clears throat> it turns out that you can build uh, a particular perovskite which has which sits side by side uh, with silicon and absorbs different wavelengths of light and literally you're getting half of the energy from the perovskite and half from the silicon but it's the same light. So as it shines on it, goes through the perovskite layer if it's not going to be absorbed and to the silicon. Uh, It's almost like magic that they've overlapped sort of half each of the available spectrum, which which can virtually double the uh, amount of energy which is converted into uh, electricity. Yeah, yeah. Perovskite can be uh, adjusted as well, I think. You can use a slightly different chemical formula. And I think these companies have a lot of secret formulae. I think you said that. You can tune which wavelengths are absorbed. And that makes that's another reason why it's very good for these tandems. But unlike organic PV systems, you can't tune it. You can't say, I'm going to make one that does this. You have to, as you say, choose the particular uh, chemical which... Yeah absorbs that spectrum of light and so each one of these are bringing it to market as soon as they can and they've got one particular chemical working as we go th- through the perovskite revolution 
companies will get two or three different systems working, different materials working, which can sit side by side and be rolled on to a sheet together almost in a single printing process. And then you will effectively have perovskite plus perovskite tandems instead of perovskite plus silicon. I don't think that will happen for a while. Uh, not efficiently. I think it will happen in the labs. You know, it is happening in the labs now. NREL did a six-layer perovskite last year, sort of broke the world record of what you can achieve, but it was a, about what I, I can't, it was tiny. It was probably uh, one centimetre squared. Yeah, some, something like that. So, you know, bringing, yeah, we're probably five years away from that being commercially viable, but now there's the money and the effort and the energy behind it. That type of effort will get accelerated on the back of the first tandems coming out and then the first um, thin films Provskite only coming out so I think it's a very exciting time it's interesting it's not the only area of research that's going to um, that's going to hit there is this idea of nanocarbon tubes which I don't know if you if you if you have a background as I do in video they kind of um, th- these kind of holes in carbon allow various wavelengths of light through you you apply electricity and you get light uh, from these carbon nanotubes but another effect in reverse is if you have heat it can trans it can change it into light 80 percent of the energy hitting uh, most solar panels is heat and and so there is this idea that before it hits the panel you're going to turn that heat into light along with the light and actually have a much much brighter um, a wave of light hitting the uh, PV layer. This has been something that NREL has uh, produced a successful uh, lab experiment with uh, over a year ago. And it's looking like it's a five-year uh, implementation period before that could come out on a commercial scale. So there, there are, and that promises something like 80% of energy hitting a panel converting into electricity. Long way to go. But I'm just saying, it, there's not only one revolution going on in solar, there's many. Perovskite is the one that's about to turn into money now. And in terms of the perovskite revolution, then, how quickly will it How quickly will it happen? How quickly will we see it, see it sort of start to displace conventional solar panels? I think, I think in the report, Andres was effectively taking the view that if you can make panels that are either more efficient or much lighter and cheaper, you'll be able to sell all of them. Um, so it's, it's, it's manufacturing constrained. You make some, you prove that they work, then you get the investment for the, to make twice as many and prove that they work, and then you get the investment to make four times as many. And I think that's pretty much how we've built the, the model. Is, is perovskite, is it a binary material? Can you improve on it or have something which is, um, you know, not perovskite? And also, is it a, a, like a, a proprietary material? How, can can anybody get hold of it? Or? Uh, it was first discovered as, uh, I think it was tin halide. Or, uh, I'm trying to remember the actual uh, combination. But there, there are, it's basically a way in which crystals form uh, of okay. particular molecules. So there's about 10 or 12 metals, which when uh, combined with oxygen and uh, a, a, in, into, a, uh, into a variety of combinations, they will form the same shape of crystals, which, which is where this, uh, the PV effect comes from. So there are, there are many combinations to explore, but um, I think gone is the idea that this is an academic exercise and it won't lead anywhere. This is leading somewhere in 2021, and from here on in, it's inevitable what happens. There's one other thing that's going on behind the scenes here, which is we're talking about these new solar technologies. It should also be mentioned that 
the underlying technology behind silicon seems to be approaching its limits. The modules on the market are still improving. They're still doing interesting things with how they put the cells or whatever together. But in, in the laboratory, a silicon cell by itself, the efficiency is almost close to its theoretical maximum limit. And it has barely improved at all over the past five, six years. So uh, that's another thing. And it's the same with First Solar and their cadmium telluride. And First Solar is a thin film manufacturer in the USA. Their cadmium telluride has similarly, it used to be, they used to have a technological advantage, but the research, the actual efficiency of the material hasn't improved for quite a few years. So they've actually, they've mentioned it as a possibility switching to these other materials such as perovskites. We get this all the time. In processing for a computer, companies like Intel uh, got to the fastest um, switching speed you could get to uh, and the largest uh, individual chip you could build that was stable. But in the end, um, it was merely a stopping off point. Uh, Massively parallel computers and uh, symmetrical parallel computers were brought in that added eight or nine of these in a row or 12 of these or 300 of these processing elements. And suddenly the building a fantastically powerful computer was no longer an issue. Every time scientists hit the barrier of that's all the physics will allow, they go, well, okay, how can we organize it so that or without breaking those physical laws, we can just do a better job. We've seen the same in the in the um, aircraft industry. I mean, we, what we were seeing in them racing towards um, sort of record speeds was it sort of 30 years ago with things like Concorde, and since then, obviously, they've had to switch their focus. I think efficiency since then, in terms of air travel, have increased by about 60%. Yeah, it's just sort of shifting the focus to sort of new aspects of performance. They, they carried more people in one go rather than more people faster. On a, a complete change of pace, Ford. Uh, trying to do a a pretend version of the GM announcement. I think it will serve its purpose. You know, Ford has pretended that it's just as gung-ho behind EVs. Um, It hasn't made any statements about when it's going to stop making ICE vehicles by, uh, as GM did. Um, it hasn't dedicated itself to EVs. It's It's got one out now, a couple coming out, one in 2021, one in 2022. It's going to have about three in four years. And it's claiming to spend nearly as much money as GM on the process. It's miles behind and it's not true. And it hasn't committed itself. But it's still made a big public hoo-ha about it. And it's still saying we're completely backing EVs. No one's going to leave us behind. And so as much as it was a... Almost fake news in the sense that it was just a, a copycat announcement. They tried to uh, pretend that they're spending more than GM, but that's by counting their money they'd already spent for the past five years, as well as what they would spend in the next five. But even so, they are spending quite a lot of money. They are launching e- uh, EVs and they are doing it at every type of vehicle. So it's just another reason why EVs can't be prevented. As we find people like Ford and GM actually advertising these vehicles and making sales and making record sales in these new vehicles the ev revolution is underway and is inevitable and can't be stopped how do you think it's going to play out in terms of the um the sort of existing companies in terms of obviously we've already seen them consolidate a bit especially in europe but do you think that's something we'll continue to see do you think car makers yeah or do you think some of them will just die out completely i, I think i think um it's, it's like, you know, I have this expression, dead and buried. Some will die. Some will be buried under other brands, i.e. acquired. I don't think we can get into details 
we, you, you could, if you could say who's going to survive, you could do an exercise on it. You'd have to go into a lot of detail. And if you change the CEO at any point in time, they can change direction as the oil companies have. Yeah, I think there's no question. They uh, they merge and shrink. That you know they consolidate, uh, change the brand names. Uh, I mean, who's heard of Stellantis? Um, but it's one of the largest car makers in America because it's it's the new name for what was once Chrysler and Fiat Chrysler. There will be a lot of new Chinese ones. I mean, who's Neo? <laughs> you know, if you ask a car enthusiast, you know what a Neo is, they won't know. The car publications aren't writing about them, but everybody um, on the stock market knows about them. And uh, no one can can wait until their next uh, round of, uh, of design comes out and the next vehicle. They're ramping. They're about where Tesla was four to five years ago. And, and as always, and the car market has always tended to come from the top end down. Well, we'll invent the the really expensive top end car first, um, especially with the new technology, because we can make more profit on those. Somebody is going to do the equivalent of the Mini or the Fiat 500 you know, for electric vehicles. I know there is an electric version of the uh, Fiat 500 coming, and it's going to capture the imagination of everybody, and they're just going to buy in such large quantities that whoever gets the formula right is going to have more market share than they've ever had as a car company, or, or a new one will, and it's more likely to happen to a, a, a new brand because they're not carrying all that baggage. I mean, how many hybrids... How much effort has gone into launching hybrids when all they do is use more 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 um, uh, fuel than uh, ICE cars? Most people drive them on fuel only and keep the uh, electricity in reserve when they were designed to be used the other way around, or theoretically they were. They were tested the other way around when their emissions uh, statements were made. All that wasted effort into let's do hybrids. Consumers will understand them. Consumers understand battery electric vehicles better than the car makers um yeah we did something on this as well on uh wood mckenzie came out with another forecast and i am so so bored with saying this about the researchers in this market and i do include bloomberg in that although they don't do quite so badly but wood mckenzie in particular are influenced by the oil companies and they came out with a statement this week that um we were wrong Instead of 330 million uh, EVs by 2040, there's going to be 700 million by 2050. They didn't remind you of what the the number would rise to in 2040. But even that will only lead to 24% less use of oil by 2050. I mean, that's just betraying all their customers. They're leading them into a false premise. That's not what's going to happen. We can see that's not what's going to happen. Yet again, they come out with a. And what do you do if you just made your investment proposals based on one forecast and they bring you another one that's nearly double? You, you just you change your forecast. You tell all your people investing in all your products that you're, yeah, well, we've changed their minds, we've upgraded. You can't rely on somebody who keeps changing their minds. And especially when they just keep listening to oil companies. Yeah, it's it's staggering, really. I mean, we saw them do the same again in the hydrogen sector this week. They released their sort of 2050 hydrogen possibility report, which um, was much the same. It was them saying that, oh, we don't think anyone's uh, anticipating that the hydrogen market is going to take off as quickly as it is, which goes against absolutely everything they've said in the past. I mean, initially, 
Wood Matt were one of the, the key players saying that hydrogen would never be com- cost competitive. Then they were saying maybe 2030. Uh, in this report, they're saying sort of around 2025, uh, maybe slightly later. Um, we, j- we just know that um, just based on the past sort of trends in the renewable sector, that it's going to be before. Um, I mean, 2024, 2023 is now looking to the point where we'll be actually seeing cost competitive electrolysis. I honestly really wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of green hydrogen enter uh, commercial markets at the same price as grey hydrogen in 2022. But for some reason, Wood Mackenzie just can't really get their head around how quickly things change. And I think that's just based on the fact that they're just so blinkered on the US market, where there's seemingly very limited activity in terms of, uh, and then suddenly there's this massive change. So it's it's very difficult to take anything they say as serious. The thing is, we read between us everything that's written about renewable energy. And we read a lot of nonsense, especially in the general press, in the newspapers. When you get down to it, the engineers who drive this business understand why hydrogen is a likely candidate for at least, at the very least, large land transport. They, they understand why that's the way it's got to be, because they're engineers, they can do the sums. And, we are, and so people start putting money into it. What people don't understand about change is the moment billions of dollars are spent on something and it becomes a land grab, um, you break all the rules, you break all the predictions. You always do because everyone's saying, if I can just go a bit faster, a bit harder, if I can just get the price down a bit more, it won't matter. I just need to survive through this bit. Then I win. And if I win, I get everything. I become the new Amazon. That's how all technical revolutions happen. But we haven't had one in vehicles. We haven't had one in energy for 100 years. That's why nobody in that industry, the people who've been selling research to this industry, can actually see it happen because they've, they've spent their whole of their lives, 40 or 50 years of their lives, seeing very little change. And so they're expecting it to happen a little bit at a time. But investors know that's not what happens because as soon as you see real money thrown at a problem, as long as it's soluble, as long as it's going down the right route, then it accelerate. And we're on that acceleration curve for hydrogen, absolutely. And the winners are, are going to be companies we, we mentioned today. We mention them uh, from time to time. And they're going to end up as the new Teslas in five or six years. And they it's, it's already obvious to the stock market. It's a shame that everybody else can't see it.